Hey, welcome to the big finale of our Boundary series. This is week number four uh, that we've been in. And I just want to say, you know, as we're finishing this out, we really so much appreciate all the feedback that we've gotten from so many people uh, about this series, just hearing how much it's helping you. And uh, man, that just does our hearts good. You know, Pastor Stephen and I worked on this series together, uh, knowing that it's really connecting and helping out. And I guess I would say, you know, we shouldn't be surprised because this is really an answer to uh, Christmas surveys. This is one of the top topics that you wanted to hear about, uh, is, and that was Christian relationships and really, you know, how do we handle some of these difficulty, uh, difficult people and difficult relationships. So uh, this is week number four. Big shout out to our Poughkeepsie campus at Regal Cinemas. Uh, we're one church, multiple locations. And then, of course, our online campus. Uh, you know, we had almost 500 people online this past week, just really mind-blowing. Uh, and, and it was a huge, huge weekend last weekend with child dedications as well, uh, you know, for the Valley family, about 1,200 people, you know, that, that were a part of our services. Uh, so we're just really, God's doing some fantastic things, and uh, one big happy Valley family is what we are. So week number four, I want to invite you to go ahead and open up uh, your Valley app, and if you haven't done that, you can download that, because that's going to help you follow along with the message, fill in the blanks, and also be able to look back uh, in the future and save those notes for you uh, as well. That's free in your uh, app store for your electronic device that you're currently using. Uh, so over the last few weeks, we've looked at controlling people, week number one, critical people, week number two, overly needy people. Uh, last week, today I want to talk about hypocritical people, hypocritical people. And, and let me just ask, you know, like a show of hands, uh, how many of you know someone who's a hypocrite? Just go ahead and raise your hand there. Yeah, we all do, don't we? Uh, we all know someone who's a hypocrite. Go ahead, put your hands down. Uh, how many of you are sitting next to someone who's a hypocrite? No, 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 don't do that. Put your hand down. That's a joke. Don't do that. Don't elbow your spouse. It's not a good thing to do right now. But uh, uh, hypocrisy really is not something that's necessarily, it's not a Bible word uh, as such, and yet it's the number one complaint that most non-Christians have about Christians, which I think is really, really interesting when you just think about that. It's the number one complaint that non-Christians have about Christians. But how does a non-Christian even know what a Christian, how a Christian is supposed to act? Just food for thought there for just a minute. Uh, like non-Christians, you, you know, I know what it's supposed to be like to be a Christian. I don't believe in Jesus, but I'm telling you, you're not acting the way a Christian ought to. It's a very interesting conflict or contradiction when you think about it. But the word hypocrite actually was used a long, long time before Christians in Greek theaters. And really what a hypocrite literally means, it's hypocritize, and what it means is a stage actor or one who wears a mask. Uh, it had to do with theater. So you were playing a role. It's not really who you are as a person. You're playing a role and, and you're putting on a mask and pretending to be acting like someone who you really actually are not. And, and it's very interesting that Jesus had zero tolerance for hypocrites. I mean, he had no tolerance uh, for hypocrites at all. And I think the reason for that is when you think about it, hypocrisy is a form of deception. Acting is a form of deception, pretending to be in a role, act a role, fulfill a role, you're really not. And so it's pretentious, it's deceptive, and, and, and Jesus didn't have any tolerance at all 
for hypocrites. And, and we're going to look at some of the words that Jesus said. And uh, it's just amazing when, you again, you go back to God's word and, and you read what Jesus actually did say, what he actually did do. Uh, again, I don't think most non-Christians have done that and yet inform Christians you're hypocrites. Uh, so listen to what Jesus had to say. It's pretty wild. Uh, in, in Matthew chapter 23, he actually uh, makes a, a number of statements seven times in Matthew chapter 23. He's talking to the religious leaders and he's really just scathing remarks that he's making about them. In fact, seven times he says, whoa. And, and that whoa does not mean like, whoa, you're awesome, dude. It doesn't mean that at all. That whoa is actually, Jesus is pronouncing condemnation on them judgment and condemnation and he's like woe to you I mean he's saying this is awful God's judgment is coming upon you because of your hypocrisy and look at what he says here uh, one of these in Matthew chapter 23 verse 28 Jesus says outwardly on the outside you look like righteous people but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. In other words, he says, it's like you're wearing a mask and you're playing a role, but that's not really who you are. You're, you're, you're putting on your religious pretense, your religious mask on Sunday. Oh, bless God. Hallelujah. God bless you. Hallelujah. You know, thank you, Lord. Uh, but that you're just going through the motions, religiosity. But the reality is that is not where your heart is at all. You're acting. You deserve an Academy Award. You're such a great actor at being religious. But the reality is your heart is filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. A lot of Christians deserve Academy Awards because they have become professional actors. And, and you know, just being a pastor for over 30 years, I've seen some stuff, man. I, I've seen some people that just talk the talk, outwardly look righteous, but the reality of what was going on in their lives or in their family that nobody knew, talking all kinds of religious stuff and stepping out on their wife, Cheating on their wife, talking all kinds of religious stuff and, you know, strung out on drugs. Outwardly, you look like righteous people. Inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. And, and so, you know, you, you may run into some hypocrites. We're not immune to it. I think you find it in, in every church. Uh, uh, maybe, you know, his buddy that, uh, that you bumped into at one of your valley groups and uh, acts normal, you know, eats chips uh, and, and prays really, really well. But like I said, he's stepping out on his wife, he's cheating on his wife. Or, or maybe it's a Christian kid that claims, you know, Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior, but out partying on the weekend and cheating on their test during school. Or maybe it's a boss who's overly spiritual in the way that he talks, but treats workers horribly, demands more and more longer hours, lacks integrity, and is always cutting corners and taking shortcuts. So how, how do we respond? What do we do in, in a, in a Christ-like way when it comes to hypocrisy? Well, first of all, I think we need to kind of take a step back and, and think about what we're dealing with, the type of person, what type of hypocrisy is this? So, so why we need to ask ourselves the question, why are they acting like that? Well, first of all, why are they acting like that? Because the why is so important before we come to the conclusion of what they're a hypocrite. Why are they acting 
like this. I think there's three reasons for it, and this kind of helps us in terms of before we talk about approach, which we'll do in the, the second half of the message. But, but three, three different answers to that question. Why are they acting like this? Because the why determines what we do, how we respond to them. The first one is this, maybe they don't really know God. Maybe they just don't really know God. In, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 4, the Bible says, Whoever says, I know him, I know God, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. As I said, just talks a good talk, but doesn't actually walk out the life of a Christ follower. Greg didn't say that. God said that in his word. If we say we know him, but we don't follow in Jesus' footsteps, we don't follow his instructions and his commands, we're really lying, and the truth is not really inside of us. Just because you go to church doesn't make you a Christian. Just because you attend church doesn't mean that you really know God. Any more than uh, it, just because you, you go to the grocery store, it makes you a turnip. Knowing God is what really, really counts. And, and we can talk a good game, but if we don't actually do what it is that God has instructed us, what he expects out of us, we don't really know him. Jesus even said that in one part in the Gospels, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. Only those that do the will of my Father. And so the first thing we need to kind of decide is why are they acting the way that they are? Maybe they don't really know God. Uh, here's the second one. Uh, maybe they don't know any better yet. Maybe they don't know any better yet. Maybe they're just a new Christian and, and don't have a lot of experience. Maybe they just really prayed and received Christ the week before. Uh, it's not like automatically it just change. It takes time, the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Transformation takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. In fact, it doesn't happen in a week or even a year. It takes some time. And so maybe they just don't know any better yet. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul writes, he goes, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, merely infants in Christ. Now, this is really important because Paul's saying, you know Christ, but you're, you're a baby. You haven't matured in your faith. And he's saying, I wish I could address you as mature followers of Jesus Christ, but you're just babies at this point. And just like in the natural, a human being grows from infant, you know, toddler, child, teenager, the same way spiritually that we grow as well. And so maybe they just don't have a whole lot of maturity at this point. You know, I remember just an example of this. I remember a guy, he's still in our church to this day and part of a Valley family and, you know, been here for probably, I don't know, 15, 20 years. And I remember when he came in, he was rough, he was raw. He received Christ in, our, in one of our services. And I remember him coming up. He'd been here a couple of weeks and he, and he says to me afterwards, you know, we're talking and, and he's like, Pastor, I just want to tell you, man, that sermon today, that was the best GD sermon I've ever heard. Except he didn't say GD. I'm just giving the initials. You can fill in the blanks. He's like, that was the best GD sermon I ever heard. And he just didn't even know any better. He didn't know any better. So here's, here's the point I think is so important. Sometimes, it's not hypocrisy in the sense, sometimes we, they don't need correcting, they need instructing. I didn't come down on him. I didn't you know, like hammer him like, how dare you? I was just like, man, I appreciate it. You don't really need to use those words to tell me how it connected with you you know maybe something a little lighter but uh but man i appreciate what you're saying 
He didn't need correct and he needed instructing. Big difference. He needed, could I put it this way? He needed coaching up. He needed just to be coached up. So a lot of that, quite honestly, it happens in our valley groups. That's one of the reasons why it's so important. The small groups that we have. We're not a church that has small groups. We're a church of small groups. And uh, we have over 45 groups right now that are going on. All different interests, activities, Bible study, hobbies, all of this. Close to 400 people, largely almost everyone, adults, you know, joining our valley groups. And some of those are still open. I, I'd encourage you, uh, if you're not a part, go ahead. There's still some that are open the whole semester. You know, sign up for those. Over 400, close to 400 people uh, involved with those just this semester. And, and, you know, that's the way that, it's not about correcting. There's not correcting as such that happens there. But there is some, some coaching up, some instruction, especially if you're new in the faith. You, you know, and so, so people just tenderly kind of like, yeah, you know, that, that's probably not the best for you to say that to the pastor. That's the best, you know, GD sermon. It's probably not the right choice of words there. But, but that's one of the beautiful things of just sharing our lives together. That's why we're a church of small groups, not, not, not a church with small groups. And so may, maybe they just don't know any better yet. And so, you know, uh, we just really need to kind of like, could I put it this way, be very gracious and merciful with those that don't know any better yet. That being said, if, uh, if somebody who's been a Christian for 15 years or so, you know, came up and said that to me, I'd be like, whoa, dude. What's going on? Why are you talking like that? You know? Because there's, there's a greater expectation than, than someone who just two weeks ago received Christ as their Lord and their Savior. Just, they're just an infant. They're growing. So, so maybe they, they don't really know God. Maybe they don't know any better. But then there's a third group, third type that I think we need to think about. And that's what the rest of the message is about. Maybe they know better, but they still just disobey God. Maybe they know what they're doing is wrong, but they're pretending like they got it all together, and they really don't. First Peter chapter 2, verse 16, the Bible says, for, for you're free, yet you are God's slaves, so don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Yes, Jesus Christ lived a sinless life and he laid that life down on the cross as a sacrifice and a substitute for the forgiveness of your sins, past, present, and future. And he rose from the dead. And we're saved, we're forgiven. But we don't want to use the freedom of the forgiveness that you and I have received as an excuse to do what we know is wrong. And so don't use your freedom we're still supposed to be your slaves to God. We're serving God to do His will, to live the way He wants us to, which is, could I put it this way, it's always better, it's not less. It, living the life that God created you and me for, it, that's our best life. It's not something less than. It is ultimately more fulfilling, more satisfying than living on our own and using our freedom as an excuse to do evil. And so really, really important. It's, I know too many Christians that think, you know, well, Jesus has forgiven me so I can live above, uh, you know, uh, they think they're above the rules. The rules don't apply to them. And they rationalize it and they justify it. You know, uh, justify 
regularly viewing pornography, and the justification there is, well, if my wife just met my needs, I wouldn't have to do this, and I'm not really hurting anybody. Yeah, yeah, you are. You, you really are. You, you're, you're hurting yourself, and, and you're really hurting your relationship with your wife and your wife and, and your kids, too, if you have children. Don't, don't use freedom as an excuse to do it. Well, God forgives me. Yeah, but you're doing irreparable damage in your relationship, in your marriage right now. You know, Christians that are materialistic, well, God wants us to have nice stuff, you know, excellence. I believe in excellence. Got to have brand new. That's why we're in debt and all this stuff. Don't, don't, don't put that on God. Don't use the freedom. We're supposed to be good stewards. We're supposed to be good stewards of everything that God's placed in our hands. So don't use, you know, forgiveness. God will forgive me for just accumulating more and more and more and being selfish and greedy. Don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil because maybe that's really what hypocrisy is when, when we know what's better but we still don't obey God. In Jude chapter 1, verse 4, the Bible says, for certain individuals, it's talking about hypocrites here, pervert the grace of our God into license for immorality. And deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign as Lord. They, they don't deny and say he doesn't exist. They deny that Jesus Christ, our only sovereign as the Lord, by their actions, by what they actually do. That we can actually deny that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior by the choices that we make over and over and over again. It's called hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. And so it's, it's a big deal. And... Uh, Jesus came not just to forgive us, to pay the price for your personal sins and my sins. Jesus came so that we could receive, when we receive the gift of salvation, we receive the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit changes us and transforms us. It doesn't mean we're perfect, far from it, but, but we're supposed to be getting better all the time. We're supposed to be becoming more like Jesus all the time. That's the inward work of the Holy Spirit. And so many times people come into church and we try to clean them up on the outside and act like we're the Holy Spirit. And, and what they do is, just like Jesus was talking about the Pharisees, we, we wash the pot on the outside, but inside it's all messed up still. And we get them how to talk religious and say religious and act religious, but, but the heart has not changed. And so really, really important that we don't become folks like Jude is talking about here. By the way, half-brother of Jesus is saying this, Jude. For certain individuals pervert the grace of God into license or immorality. God hasn't changed his mind on what's right and wrong. What God says is immoral, still immoral. Doesn't matter what 2020 culture says, still immoral. And we can actually deny that Jesus Christ is our personal Savior and Lord by the actions that we regularly engage in. And so this third group are not really those that don't know any better. Uh, it, these are those that this is what real hypocrisy is right here. They know what they're doing is wrong and, and yet justify it, make excuses about it and say, no, Jesus Christ, he's my Lord. That, that lordship means like king, master, sovereign Lord. That's what it means Jesus Christ is my Lord. So, and a lot of times if you say something to someone like this, they're like, it's none of your business what I do in my personal life. 
Or, or they'll say, you know, why are you all up in my business? Uh, you, you know, you, you shouldn't ju- judge not lest you be judged. Isn't it amazing how many people deny Jesus Christ, but they will quote that scripture <laughs> out of context, obviously. So what do we respond? How do we respond to this? What, what is our responsibility? Because the reality is, you read Matthew chapter 23, Jesus was very confrontational to hypocrites. That, that were acting religious like they loved God, but they really didn't. Uh, the prophets in the Old Testament, very confrontational to hypocrites. Paul and Peter, the apostles in the, in the scripture, very confrontational when it comes to hypocrisy. And so how do we handle, how do we relate to people because this is that are hypocrites because this is something that we really really need to get right because if we if we relate to and and and, you know we don't handle this right the right way a healthy way uh we can hurt that person and we can actually push them even further away from god than they are caught in their hypocrisy right now And, and so it's really important so what i want to do is just real practically kind of coach you up three practical points uh, about how to handle relationship with, hip, with a hypocrite. This is a brother or sister in Christ, someone who names Christ as their Savior, is not living like it at all. And, and I think it takes prayer. And, and so I want to share with you just prayerful confrontation, how we can, con- can confront but prayerfully in, in a right way that will actually bring help someone who's caught in hypocrisy in any area of their life closer bring them closer to christ not push them farther away from god because that ultimately is the goal that they would come closer to christ not push them farther away from god so i think there's three things that that we need to pray before we ever confront a fellow christian who's caught in hypocrisy and the first thing i think we need to pray is this god help me confront with a heart to restore that's the motivation God, help me to confront with a heart to restore this person. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, I think this is so important. Look at what the Bible says. Brothers and sisters, in other words, this is not for someone that doesn't name Christ as their Savior. This is for us up in here, not them out there. This is for those in the body of Christ, those in the family of God. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, and that's what hypocrisy is, it's sin. That's why Jesus confronted it. We need to as well. You who live by the Spirit, that's capital S, that means Holy Spirit. You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. So the motivation, real important, is not correction. The motivation is restoration. Let me just say that again. The motivation is not, I'm going to give this person a piece of my mind. I'm going to set them straight. The motivation is restoration. And so first we need to pray, God help me confront with a heart to restore. So important to see yourself as a guide, not as a judge. You're a guide. God is the judge, not Greg. Not, not, not any pastor, not anyone sitting in the pew or in the, in, the, in the row there. We're not judges. We're supposed to be guides. And what hypocrisy is, is that, that brother in Christ, that sister in Christ, has gotten on the wrong path. And so we need to be a guide to help them to get on the right path again. Not a judge, but we're guides. 
And so let me put it this way. Your goal is not to be right. Your goal is to help someone else get right with God. That's what the goal is. The goal is not to, to be right and make a point because it's real easy to make a point but not make a difference. What you want to do is make a difference in that person's life so that they get right with God. That's what the goal is. It's restoration. So it's so important to pray first, God help me confront with a heart to restore. The heart is love. The motivation for restoration can never be pride was hurt. Uh, It can never be mean-spirited. I want to help you to to get back on track to be the best that God created you to be. That's not the best you in what you're doing right there. That's not the best you. And you think about Jesus when when, uh, the, the Pharisees, again, these are hypocrites, brought the woman that was caught in the act of adultery, uh, which, by the way, I always wonder, like, where was the dude? Because you can't commit adultery on your own. It's, it's not an individual thing. But they only brought the woman. And, uh, and, and Jesus makes this statement that he who was without sin cast the first stone because of adultery should have been, according to the Old Testament law, stoned to death. And, and Jesus says, well, let, let he who's never sinned cast the first stone. And then he knelt down and he began to write in the dirt, in the sand there, and uh, some scholars, you know, it's pretty interesting. They say, they, they think he probably started writing, you know, names of their sins. Or maybe, maybe he started writing the names of their girlfriends on the side. And they began to leave as he was writing. From the, from the oldest to the youngest. Because I think there is obviously younger, there's a little arrogance, a little more pride there. Years have a way of kind of humbling people. And, uh, and after they'd all left... Jesus looks up and he says, woman, where are your accusers? And then watch this. He said, she says, they're all gone. He goes, well, neither then do I accuse you. But he didn't stop there. He says, go and sin no more. He doesn't say, it's okay, just go back to your lover's bed. He says, stop it. But he spoke to her with grace and truth. And, and, and we need to speak. In other words, restoration is, is grace and truth. Not just truth, because the truth can just hurt, can, can, can cause more harm. Grace and truth. Woman, I don't accuse you either, Jesus said. Go and sin no more. That's a perfect picture of restoration. He didn't say, you know, God changed his mind when it comes to adultery. It ain't no big thing. He didn't say that because God hasn't, and he still hadn't. He said, go and sin no more. Grace and truth. God help me to confront with a heart to restore. We don't confront out of hurt. We don't confront out of mean-spirited, you know, motivated. We confront with a heart to restore. And here's the second thing. God help me to confront carefully. We got to be careful when we confront hypocrisy. Really, really be careful. In fact, look at what the Bible says uh, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Uh, another translation, it says, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Going a little further, we just look at that. Watch this. But watch yourself 
or you also may be tempted. Watch yourself. Watch out for yourself, or you may fall into the same temptation. Because the, here's the whole trick of it. it. It's real, real easy when we go to confront someone else that, that it's real easy to, to get on a, like our high horse, start on a pride ride. And the Bible says pride goes before the fall. That's what God says. Pride comes before the fall. So if we go to confront and, and we say, oh, I'm just here to restore, but it's really because we feel like we're better than that person. We feel like, oh, I would never do that. Watch yourself. Take a look at yourself because you also may be tempted by the same thing or by something similar, just pride. Heard it said, you know, pride is the chief of all sins. Every sin stems from pride. It's the root of all sin, pride. So we've got to be real careful when we confront because we're vulnerable to pride. So we need to pray before we confront. We need to pray, God help me confront with a heart to restore. We need to pray, God help me confront carefully. And, and here's the third prayer that we need to pray as we prayerfully confront. God help me see the hypocrisy in me. God, God help me see the hypocrisy in me. Because the moment that you and I feel like we're immune to, to any particular sin, I would never do that. I, I, man, I, not me, you'll never find me there involved with something like that. That's pride. We've opened the door, and we may end up being hypocrites ourselves. God, help me see the hypocrisy in me. Can I put it this way? Hypocrisy is hard to see in the mirror. It is really, really hard to see hypocrisy in our own lives. Uh, this, this is one of the reasons why Jesus, when he confronted the Pharisees and their hypocrisy, you know what he called them? Blind fools. It's a blind spot. It's a blind spot. And, and here's the thing. You got blind spots. I have blind spots. We can't see them. That's why we need each other. To, to lovingly, graciously speak the truth in love, grace and truth. Hey, man, I'm concerned about you. What I'm seeing in your life here. Because hypocrisy is really, really hard to see in the mirror. No one ever wakes up and like, I'm a hypocrite. Oh my goodness, I had no idea. It's hard to see in the mirror. That's why we need loving Christian relationships around us. People that care about us. Just like in a valley group. That have our best interest at heart. And they can speak the truth with grace and love to us. That's going to help us to become more like Jesus. So really, really incredibly important because hypocrisy is really, really hard to see in the mirror. And you know what? No one is immune to it. I'm not immune to hypocrisy. You're not immune to hypocrisy. No one is. In fact, let me show you this great example. This is kind of crazy. Peter, you know, the apostle Peter, where Jesus said, on this rock I'll build my church. You know, you're Peter and, and, and all this. Uh, Paul had to actually confront Peter in the Bible because Peter was being a hypocrite. The Apostle Peter was not even immune to being a hypocrite. And, and what was happening, let me give you the backstory before we look at it in the Bible. What was happening was that, that when uh, Jewish believers in Christ, uh, when they were around, he acted very Jewish. He maintained all the Jewish laws, the ceremonial laws and all that. 
Uh, but when there were Gentile Christians, non-Jewish by, by race and ethnicity, that, that were around, he was just acting like the Gentiles. But, but then when the Jew, Jewish Christians were around, he was like, oh no, I'm very devout you know, to all the Old Testament teachings and, and all that. And Paul confronted, his, confronted him on his hypocrisy. Look at what it says, Galatians chapter 2, verse 13. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy. Watch this, it's crazy. So that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. And you can read the rest of that there in Galatians chapter 2. And, and, and Paul actually says, I confronted Peter to his face. He was like, I put that man, you know, I, I, right to his face. It's really important that, that because we don't see hypocrisy. It's really, really hard to see. But listen, the more you hang out with hypocrites, guess what happens? You become one. You become one. I mean, hypocrisy is like the coronavirus. It is very contagious. You don't want that. And, and so God help me see the hypocrite in me. That's why it needs to be confronted and grace, and truth. But even Peter needed the confrontation, prayerful confrontation, to change because he'd fallen into hypocrisy. And by his hypocrisy, he led other people astray because they, they thought, well, Peter, he's got to be doing the right thing. I'll follow his example. And he was completely wrong. Completely wrong. So no one's immune to it. I'm not immune to it. You're not immune to it. God help me see the hypocrisy in me. Let me put it this way. Whenever you're the most condemning of others, it's often a reflection of where you're the most vulnerable. Wherever you're the most condemning of others, it's often a reflection. What, what is it? Let me put it this way. What, what action, what, what is that particular pet peeve sin that you, you have just no tolerance for in other people? Chances are it, it's actually growing in your own heart, in your own life. That thing like, oh, no, wait. Yeah, that's in there. It's in there. It's actually a reflection, but it's a blind spot. We all have blind spots. That's why we need caring Christians that we're sharing our life with, what's going on, to be able to speak the truth in love, grace and truth. I say, man, you know, it seems like you just talk a lot about money and the next new thing you want to get and the next and next. I'm, I'm concerned for you. Critical way that we address people maybe it's lust it's in our heart how 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 could he do something i looking at that looking at a woman like that's terrible careful careful whatever you're the most condemning of in others is often a reflection of where you're actually the most vulnerable in your life matthew chapter 7 <laughs> Jesus is talking about, and he, he gives this great analogy, really kind of a parable, I suppose. And, and he says in Matthew chapter 7, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? Again, Christian and Christian. This isn't for folks out there. This isn't for those that name Christ as their Savior and Lord. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? He says, you're, you're like, oh, there's a little tiny something in your eye. Let me get that out. Meanwhile, you got a two-by-four hanging out of your eye. And you're going to knock somebody over. You can't even get close to them because you got such a plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? Jesus goes on and says, you, there it is, hypocrite. 
you hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brothers. Well, this is so important. This is why I say we need to prayerfully confront. You know, as a pastor, sometimes I have to do this. I, I always make it a matter of prayer before I say something of correction or even instruction to someone else. God, show me. Is this in me? Show me. I need to see this. And it's amazing how God will point it out. And you know what that does? Maybe I've got a log in my eye and I'm trying to get a speck out of someone else's. It gives me a whole lot more compassion. Once I remove the speck from my eye, I'm sorry, the log from my eye, it gives me a whole lot more compassion and grace and a heart of love to help someone with the speck in their eye. And, and, and notice what Jesus says. He says, first take out the plank in your own eye, then you'll see clearly to remove the speck in your brother's. He doesn't say just forget about the other person. No, because you love them, you care about them. Get that plank out of your eye first. And then you'll be able to, with grace and love and the motivation that you need, speak to your brother and help them get the speck out of their eye. You know, because the reality is this, we're all sheep. Every one of us is a sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd. And sheep tend to wander. Sheep do not just like walk on a straight path. They kind of wander all over the place. And, and, and that's why we need to see ourselves as guides. Because sheep, bad, bad, just wandering all over. And we're like, come on back, come on back. You're on the wrong path there. Come on back, come on back. Because we're prone to wander. And, and just because we wander doesn't make us a wolf. We're still sheep. But, but we need guides to help us get back on the right path. Take the plank out first, and then help your wandering brother in Christ, sheep, your fellow sheep, get back on track. And I love this, James chapter 15, this is the promise. I'm sorry, James chapter 5, verse 19. It says, my brothers and sisters, there it is again, this is not for us to judge in the world, those that don't know Christ, it's brothers and sisters up in here, not out there. Brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, come on back, it's a sheep, you're wandering. Remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. That's what our motivation's gotta be. Remove the plank, pull that out so that we can help someone see the speck gently, tenderly, with compassion They've strayed, bring them on back as a guide so that they're closer to Christ than they ever were before. That's how you handle hypocritical people. Well, I don't know about you, but uh, I think I'd like to pray right now because I think this is so easy for me, this is so easy for anyone who's just being honest as a Christian to fall into hypocrisy, blind spot, we can't even see it ourselves. And so would you bow your heads with me right now? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your gentle and tender correction, your instruction that every one of us needs at times. And, and so God, I just pray right now, Lord, that we would respond to what your Holy Spirit's really been speaking in our hearts while, while We've, I've been speaking and people have been hearing in their ears what I'm saying. Your Holy Spirit's been speaking in our hearts. 
Lord, we, want, we don't want to be hypocrites. We don't want to have blind spots. So, Lord, we just pray you give us the courage to open up in caring Christian relationships and allow other followers of Christ to speak the truth in love to us and that we would respond and we'd be better for it and we'd be closer to you because of the grace and truth that's been spoken. And Father, I just pray right now, Lord, that there'd be a new sense of humility even that we would walk in in our lives. And Father, knowing that, that really none of us are perfect, but your Holy Spirit wants to continue to transform our hearts to be more like your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, without wearing a mask of hypocrisy. Right now with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to give you an opportunity because maybe you're here first time and, or, or maybe you've just never taken that first step of salvation of receiving Christ as your Savior. And even while I've been preaching and, and teaching, you know, God's been speaking to your heart and you're like, I, I want that, I need, I, I, I need that forgiveness. That's why Jesus came and lived a sinless life and laid his life down as a sacrifice for you and for me paid the price in full for your personal sins. Well, how do you know that, Greg? Well, because he, he rose again three days later. The Bible says if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So right now, I just want to lead you in a prayer, and I just invite you to open your heart up and repeat this prayer after me. You don't have to yell it out. I'm not going to have you stand or even raise your hand. You just repeat this as a whisper. This is between you and God and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord today. Just repeat this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. I turn from them today. Jesus, thank you for living for me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising from the dead for me. I receive you as my Savior and Lord. Jesus, I ask you to lead me, guide me, direct me by your Holy Spirit from this day forward, and I will follow you. Amen.